It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. And, you know, we're really excited about this Dubcast, not necessarily because we get to talk about what happened with Ohio State sports over the past week, because that's not quite as fun. But we do have a really great guest that I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, President Christina Johnson um, from Ohio State is going to be joining us and talking about all kinds of initiatives and really important things related to college sports. So that's pretty awesome. And we'll get to that in a second. Um before we do, though, we do have kind of this uh, obligation, right, that we have to <laughs> that we have to engage with. And the, the largest elephant in the room, of course, is that Ohio State as a two seed lost to 15 seed. I think maybe the eighth or ninth time that's actually happened um, in Oral Roberts University. Not a good game. Not a fun game to watch. A lot of things that I think we could sit here and complain about. And we'll spend a few minutes doing that. But... <sighs> Was this, let me ask you this, because sometimes I think Andy, as fans, you know, you you watch a lot of these games, you watch a lot of Ohio State basketball and football and whatnot. You can generally tell when Ohio State is in trouble, right? And not like, and and not in the sense that, okay, they're down by five, you know, three minutes into the game, they're going to lose, but more in the sense that, okay, this is trending really badly in the second half. There's just something that you can kind of tell. So, was this one of those games for you or were you confident up until almost the end? Yeah, I would say that what I saw from this game was, yeah, I got concerned at different points during it. Maybe <laughs> I would have liked to have seen, you know, Ohio State go into the half with like a commanding lead because you go into it and this is part of the problem. Yeah. Why they lost this game is I went into it apparently with the same mindset that they did that this is a 15 seed uh yeah roberts team this is not we're not we're not playing you know some blue blood here coming out why should we for, care it's yeah little, i i think this would be, well and the other part of it too is you were looking at one of the best offensive teams in the country in ohio state against yeah. what we have been told and i i guess i'm uh, think this is a dubious statistic at best uh what we were told was the worst defensive team in the tournament well like that was a talking <laughs> point um, and, and, and I won't necessarily say that their defense was the reason that they won the Ohio state game, but after watching them then go into the next round and take care of business against Florida, I saw some pretty good defense yeah. against Florida. So I, I guess I questioned the worst defensive team in the tournament statistic. Like, well, I'm sure that came from somewhere. They didn't just make it up, but, uh, you know, so yeah, I, I guess at the half, I was like, Hmm would really have liked to have seen Ohio state. And, and the other thing that bugged the heck <laughs> not out of score me, fewer points than oral Roberts. Well, that's the <laughs> thing that bugged the heck out of me is like, if you go back and you look, it wasn't that oral Roberts was shooting the lights out. Right. You know, it was that Ohio state couldn't hit the ocean. Exactly. And, and by the way, Andy, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things that I was thinking in the immediate aftermath of this game is that this game could have been a blowout. And I don't mean on, on the part of Ohio state, this could have been a blowout like Oral Roberts could have won this game by like 15 points. Right. Because they were hot shooting in the, in the first half. And then they cooled off considerably in the second half. And that's just how bad Ohio state was from the field. Because if Oral Roberts starts, if they had hit some of those down the stretch, I mean, they probably win that game by 10, 12 points. Yeah. It's not particularly close. I mean, Ohio state was just bad all over. And when people, when you say that people are saying Oral Roberts was the worst defensive team, Ohio state probably has a pretty good claim on that title too. Oh I my think. gosh. Yeah. So it's you go to, I, I went back to look at the stat sheet and I'm like, okay, Oral Roberts only shot 35.7% from the field. Ohio state shot 43.3%. Yeah. But, but then, you know, three pointers, uh, you, you look Ohio state only shot 21% from distance uh, almost 22 percent from distance and only made 50 percent of their free throws you know this this ohio state team was pretty good at shooting free throws they were fantastic through most of the season like that was a talking point that we covered right how well they were shooting you know cj being i think the best free throw shooter in the country going into the tournament uh meanwhile of course oral roberts shot 78 percent from the charity stripe (laughs) uh so so that was huge i i think ohio state needed to have been more of a presence inside you know they took 23 shots from behind the arc and they just weren't falling yeah uh you know and then so you look but but this is what blows my mind about this game ohio state out rebounded oral roberts destroyed them on the boards it wasn't close they had five five blocks to oral roberts is one now oral roberts had 10 steals and ohio state had 16 turnovers there's you know there's your tail right right ohio state couldn't handle the ball i mean there's so many times especially down the stretch there where they just lost a handle and it's like, okay. 
Yeah. That was I, a wasted trip down the floor and yes. And that <sighs> was and that was huge. And and just I mean, in general, my biggest thing is is that you've got Kevin O'Banner, you got Max Aismas, and these guys are it. That's the That's whole team. That nobody else on Oral Roberts had more than six points. Those two guys combined for 59 points against Ohio State. Yeah. And I'm look. You know who's going to try to score the ball on Oral Roberts. This is not a mystery. When they go up the court, you're going like, oh, God, who are they going to try to get the ball to? I don't know. Like, let's see. Like, there are two players who play the entire game that are going to be shooting the ball, period, right? They had – I'm looking at the stats. They had a combined 25 field goal attempts. Nobody else came within, like, what, 15 attempts of that? It's just – you know who's going to be trying to to you know keep their engine going. You should be able to shut down one of them. I understand maybe like you know Aismas or O'Banner, like one of those two guys is going off. But defensively, to me, it's inexcusable to allow those two guys to just basically have a complete free reign of whatever they wanted to do. It was. It's not that they were making particularly difficult shots either. They weren't having guys in their grill all the time. They were just finding really good open looks and hitting them. And that's. Look, if, if you want to be a team that's a solid two seed, probably a lot of people thinking the best two seed, right? Potentially a one seed. You got to play better defense than that. The team defense for Ohio State has just been atrocious um, for large sections of the year. And that, if we're talking about lessons learned going forward, that's, you know, Chris Holtman has to focus on that. And I'm, I'm sure he knows that. It's, it's not a mystery or anything like that. But the team defense is just really inexcusable. When Justin Arns is like your best defensive player on the court for large stretches of the game, you have an issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just was really disappointed in how they played. And, and the, the level of effort and give a damn was just not there. Uh, you know, you had him talking after the game, like we just didn't respect Oral Roberts. We expected to, you know, be Ohio State come out. And uh, it's just it's it's rough it it was a tough game to watch it was a really tough game to watch because alluding to what i said earlier i was like this is you know starting the second half they came out flat i'm like "Mm, i don't know that ohio state's gonna i don't know that they're gonna pull this off i think they're actually gonna lose to a 15 seed and and granted again Oral roberts showing that they're better than a 15 seed go out and, and beat florida and again basically did the same thing that they did to ohio state um they're legit but Ohio State just has to get better in so many ways if they want to be a true threat in March Madness or, you know, I mean, even going forward because you might lose some dudes here in the next few weeks. So, yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because this felt like a path that was really favorable for Ohio State. Like, yeah, they had a great draw. Fantastic uh, draw. Of of all of the the two seeds, you know, they probably had the clearest shot. I mean, yeah, you had to get past Baylor, but but getting up to that point looked like it was a manageable field for a team that had some obvious – Fitz warts and freckles uh and and you know maybe that's why oral roberts is advancing and god bless right. him i i guess on to the final four man you know let's uh <laughs> well they got arkansas which i think is a winnable game for them frankly I sure mean, it is. and then honestly that's the thing about march madness if you have a, a guy who can put up 30 or 40 points that's i mean we've seen that you know with other teams like davidson and whatnot it northern illinois you know like or northern iowa like if you have a guy who's just super freaking hot that can get you fairly deep into the tournament if you have yeah. two guys that can do that i think you've got a puncher's chance against pretty much anybody mm-hmm. um I, you know baylor they're just too deep and i, th- I think they'll be able to outscore or roberts i don't think that's something that they would have to worry about they'd probably win that pretty handily but yeah i don't i don't think cinderella's quite ready to to go to bed yet so we'll we'll see what happens with them but you know, it's, it's disappointing. It sucks. I will say, however, that the extremely chaotic nature of this particular tournament has made me feel a little bit better. You know what For I mean? Sure. Like, absolutely. Cause I, I'll be honest after Ohio state lost, I was super sour on this tournament. I was, I was like, I don't want to watch any of these games. I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm just mad. I'm pissed off. You're going to see all these other two seeds and one seed just coast and they'll kick everybody's butt. Yeah. And that hasn't happened. And so I've, I've drawn in a little bit more. I've, I've kind of re-engaged with March Madness because so many upsets have happened. And, uh, well, look, I mean, go, go down, uh, you go, go right down the highway to Athens, Ohio, you know, OU upsetting defending national champion, 
the Virginia Cavaliers. That's, I yeah. mean, that's some of that chaos you're that's talking fun. about. Although that was a good, I, I will say, I took the Bobcats into my Sweet 16 and the 11 Warriors bracket. So, well. so it wasn't like <laughs> that, that nobody saw that uh, as a as a potential outcome. I, I was more willing to roll with them than I was Oral Roberts apparently right. in the uh, in, in the bracket. But the, you know, they're you look at North Texas, a 13 seed over Purdue. You know, the Big Big Ten is just sort of either not as good as everybody thought, which I think is a valid question or sure. just snake bit this tournament because uh as, as of the time we're recording we should say games are are uh, in progress as we're taping um you, you've got michigan and maryland and that's that's all it's left that's and by it. the time yeah, and by the time the audience hears this podcast they may be both out of the tournament that's right that's right it could happen yeah, I mean, in Michigan's you know getting all they can handle with LSU at the moment. Um, Sister Jean took out uh, Illinois, you know. Which uh, I mean, that's actually pretty kick-ass. I I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, I, hard hard and, to be and mad frankly, about that. I didn't expect Illinois to go that far. I thought they were going to, you know, I thought they were yeah, they were play. they were one of my Final Four teams. I I will say I had a pretty Big Ten heavy uh, Final Four. I I cannot tell a lie. Well, you know, I think a lot of people did, which is valid because they were just so hyped up during the season. Well, so that's the question that I have for you, Johnny Ginner. Is is was the Big Ten over? uh, Was the Big Ten overrated? Did we all, or is it just that? Hey, Uh, uh, this is a weird season, and you can't. It it wasn't as easy to judge. Uh, You know, we did have interconference play, so it wasn't like. You know, it wasn't like we didn't have any barometer outside the Big Ten, like with, uh, say, wrestling, for example, or football. I mean, I think a, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's been said that it's matchups. And I, I think that's fair. I mean, look, Rutgers, <laughs> Rutgers was not seen as a threat in the Big Ten, right? But then they go out, they upset Clemson. They only lose to Houston by three, right? Houston's a pretty damn good basketball team. like they And they blew that. Rutgers had that game right yep. and nobody in the big Ten's going okay Rutgers is the team we got to look out for so I think a lot of it is matchup based there's still a lot of really really good teams but there's also some weird seating I, I honestly think you know you look at some of these mid-majors and the level of talent the, the disparity is just not what a lot of times is it's it's assumed to be right with the yeah. way loyal has been playing I know teams can get hot but they look really good yeah they don't look like an eight seed to me yeah, they do not look like an eight seed. That looks like a team that can win that bracket and get to the final four. Um, so I that's what I'm talking about. Part of its matchups, part of it is just wonky seeding. I don't think anybody would put, you know, Oral Roberts as a 15 at this point, like obviously, but just on the strength of the players that they have, I think that works really well in a tournament setting. And if Maryland gets to the final four somehow, like, which they could, frankly, with what, I mean, Michigan might lose and, and Maryland might steamroll teams. I mean, I don't know. It, it's just odd to me. UCLA, for example, UCLA could be a Final Four team. I don't think anybody was looking at UCLA as a potential threat mm-hmm. um, to to make the Final Four. It, to me, it's just so situational, and that's what makes March Madness so exciting. But it also makes it maddening to try to predict or make a bracket because it's it's just it's goofy. I mean, this I don't know. So I don't know that it says too much about the Big 10, maybe a little bit overrated, but it's just so situational for me to say that, you know, we got to take a long hard look in the mirror and say like, "Oh, we got to get better." Like I don't know that's really the case. No, and then I don't want to make excuses for Ohio State. I mean, we all watch the game. Uh sure. and and certainly fans will uh draw their own conclusions from what they saw on the screen. But the one thing that jumped out at me as I was watching Gonzaga, um, and man, they're every bit as good as advertised, aren't they? But I was watching yeah. uh, there what Sunday night, and one of the commentators made the point that something like it had been, I think they said eleven days since Gonzaga won their conference tournament. Mm, and I, went, yeah. I, went, I went back and looked and said, you know, that's pretty crazy. Their their last game was March 9th. They went from March 9th to the twentieth between games and they'd really only played two games i think in the month of march at all versus mm-hmm. you look i mean they only had to play two games in their conference tournament i guess i should say um and i, I think their last regular season game was like in february and so then you look at ohio state played four games in four days and then basically had four days off right before their friday game the the, the 19th yeah, I think so, that's and, an excellent and, point. And same thing with Illinois, right? So because yeah. you look at Illinois going down, um, and again, not to make uh, excuses for them, because I think Loyola won that game as opposed to Ohio State mm-hmm. losing its game. Uh, you, you know, that just to, to go through, because you could, you know, obviously you had the Kyle Young 
um, injury, you know, would more time, would he have been back in the rotation? You know, who knows, but there's, there's something to be said for having almost two weeks to recover and prepare after a, you know, fairly, um, you know, easy peasy from a fatigue standpoint, conference tournament like uh, Gonzaga has versus Ohio state going through the blender and then four days later, having to strap it up and go again. Right. No, I think that's an excellent point. And, you know, you get Kyle, Kyle Young is a huge part of what Ohio State did, right? Like, he, I mean, it's defensively anyway. He he was able to create space and get guys, you know, an opportunity. And here's the other thing is like Kyle Young, he's the he's the one dude you can really match up against a lot of the, the giant players that these teams have in the tournament. And granted, wouldn't have changed that much against Oral Roberts. I, I do think they probably beat Oral Roberts with Kyle Young, but – I guess what I'm saying is, is that they're definitely missing pieces here. Ohio state has to play better defensively. They, every team's going to have bad shooting nights. That's just going to happen. You're going to have to deal with that. Good teams, second, you know, seeded teams usually are able to overcome that via other means. And Ohio state just didn't have that period. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a great point that you make. I mean, the legs may not have been there. They're missing a key component of their team. I mean, that's, those are excuses, can, but it's also yeah. important to take into consideration. I mean, you could tell watching the Illinois game, you know, Ohio State versus Illinois, and that that. Uh, oh yeah, they were dead. Game. Their legs they, were dead. Yeah, you, you. I mean, you could just you could see it. Yeah. So you know, four days. Yeah, that's a different that's a different beast. But it's just I, that really jumped out. I hadn't thought about that at all until, like, say, commentators made a specific point in that Gonzaga game to talk about how much time they had had between their conference tournament and starting uh the big dance so well and then you could even look at a team like iowa right like iowa another two seed takes you know they're bounced by oregon they don't look super great against uh grand canyon uh you know a for-profit college like it's you know i really do think it is i think that's a valid point and i also think a lot of it is again situational but we'll see what happens I, i'm re-engaged with this tournament i am curious to see what gonzaga does mark few is a fantastic basketball coach has made exactly one final four in like 20 plus years as a coach in Gonzaga. So, I mean, they've, you know, they got to get by what Creighton, they got to get by Oregon. I mean, there's other teams that they got to look at in their bracket, but I'll, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to run the table or not. And if they aren't, then to me, this is wide open. I mean, I guess you got Baylor as well on the other side, but um I don't know. I, I want this to be a true upset special March Madness because so often you see all these great upsets going into like the round of 32 or the sweet 16 mm-hmm. and then they all lose. And yeah. then you have only top seeded teams and the elite eight and final four. And I, I am holding out hope that we're going to see some like 10 seeds or eight seeds or something like that. in the final, that would be, that would be to me as crappy as it is watching Ohio state lose to oral Roberts uh, that would kind of redeem this tournament in my eyes. That would be a hell of a lot of fun. And I hope that it ends up turning out that way. Even so, like Loyola, that would be kick-ass. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I'm uh, I'm I'm amazed and impressed, you know, looking at people's brackets uh, in, in the 11 Warriors bracket challenge, you know, how many people uh have done as well as they have because i'm i'm batting about 60 percent right now yeah I'm and trash. it's only going to get worse as we get farther in so you know rip that up and and threw it away but it's a you know it's a fun tournament we're going to be watching games uh until way past my bedtime tonight for sure and oh yeah i stayed up till like weekend i stayed up till like quarter to one last night watching yeah. oregon state oklahoma state and it paid off it yeah. paid off if they if oklahoma state the lower seed had beaten Oregon State, if, if the well higher seed, I guess the number four Oklahoma State sooner or yeah Sooners or Sooners, gosh Cowboys had beaten the Beavers, uh, I would have been pretty po'd. I would have been angry that I would have stayed up and invested that much time in a non-upset. <laughs> but Oregon State pulled it off, and now they're going into the you know the Sweet Sixteen here. Heck so, yeah. and they've got Loyola, so that'll be you know they've got the what the sister, what's her name, Sister, sister Jean, Sister Jean, Jean. yeah, yeah, so, Sister Jean, you betcha. That's a that's that's a tough uh, hill to climb, but we'll see how they do against there. Yeah, Syracuse got Houston. I don't. It's like I said, a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it a little bit more now. Um, you know, I also that, enjoy... that was the game I was bummed. You know, because I stayed up to watch the the Rutgers Houston game. Oh yeah, God. I mean, and, and I was like, Ruck, I mean, talk about choking it away. Yeah, that was uh, Rutgers had it. They had it. 
Yeah, they had it. And they, they, <laughs> it's like they went up to Ohio State. I learned it from you, Dad. Yeah, hold my beer. Uh, yeah. So they, they decided to pull, a, you know, an Ohio State special there and just completely bomb out in the last three and a half minutes, which is just, I mean, they had like a 95% chance of winning that game, according mm-hmm. to like the stat tracker, and then mm-hmm. just blew it. Um, but okay, otherwise, but this- like I said, in general, like, look, Syracuse looked pretty good against West Virginia. I mean, that was a tight game, but they pulled it out. I Syracuse is still a blue blood, so I'm not I wouldn't be super hyped about them beating Houston, but I kind of hope it happens. And then if Loyola can win that bracket or even Oregon State for some insane reason, I would be satisfied, I think. All right. So I wanna I, I wanna pose the question to you because you said something I that caught my attention when you're talking about Mark Few and his uh stellar record. I mean, yeah, I mean fantastic his, coach. He's won his conference uh, I think every year, but one, two two he's, he's exactly two years that that they haven't won their conference now they're not playing in the acc or you know sure. it, it, you know they, they don't have duke every year or anything like that so um but going down through his homeboys made one two three four five six sweet 16s and a pair of elite eights on top of that yeah so i mean that's about every other year i think in his tenure you know that he's that he's made either the sweet 16 but what what did you say? I think one final one final four? four, one final four, and he, they were runner ups that year. They I forget who they lost to in uh, 2016, 2017, but yep. uh, one final four in all that time. And like, hats off to Mark Few. I mean, he's he's built like a legitimate dynasty there. Oh my gosh, it, yeah. It's it's I mean, out of nothing, right? Like nobody knew who the hell Gonzaga was in the late 1990s. Sure. And what he's done is he's created this massive program and. and I honestly, I wouldn't be super upset if the dude, you know, took that team and, and won it all this year. I mean, that, just given his body of work, it's pretty impressive. But um, that—that's the other thing about the tournament, man. It's—it's it's so damn hard to win. It's so hard. Because- well, okay. So this is the reason I bring this up is because that—that—that's the question. Is you know, you and I went into this thing saying like Sweet Sixteen was was sort of the expectation. Elite Eight was a real possibility. Yes. Yes. Um, and you know, I was balls to the wall, put them into the final four for crying right. out loud. Like, you know, this is, I'm, I'm seeing between Twitter and our, uh, commenters on 11 warriors.com, a fine website. Everyone listening to this should be visiting, uh, every day. I, the commenters and the, the Twitterers are very clear about this, that, you know, it's is year four. We should have been like mm-hmm. into the sweet 16 at, at, at a bare minimum or hoisting the trophies. So, so what say you, my friend, like I've, I've been an admitted, Chris Holtman Stan uh, all season long. <laughs> How are you feeling about the state of the program coming out of this tournament? I, you know, you see some, some players and some of their development. You're like, wow, this is like, okay, this team clearly has some things going for it. And obviously they, Chris Holtman, you know, as a developmental coach does some really good things. He's put together some really exciting basketball at times, but they have some obvious deficiencies and, you know, recruiting wise, recruiting is really weird in, uh, in men's basketball. And, and, you know, I will say that there are some things that can't be really put at his feet too much. I mean, you, you brought in, for example, like Seth Towns, right? That's a great get. That's an incredible get for any coach. You look at that and you're like, okay, that's, that's a piece that if utilized properly, you know, can really help facilitate a deep run in March Madness or whatever. Seth Towns hasn't been right all season. He's, he's been injured and it's been hard for him to get over that. He's going to take the off season. He'll be all right. But like, I guess what I'm saying is, is that while I'm excited about a lot of things, um, he's not, he's not coach K, you know what I mean? He, he's not a guy who's just, and, and coach K is not even in this tournament, BT dubs, but um he's not a guy who I think is going to establish a Mark few esque dynasty. I, I don't think he has that. Um, I think he's very good for Ohio state. I think he's a great dude. I think he's a great coach. I don't know that you're looking at like the Nick Saban of, of basketball. Um, now the question is, are you looking at the Thad Mata of basketball? And that's what I think. I think that's the standard he'll be held to. Um, but next year is really going to be a money year for that dude because they've got to make they've got to get past the second round of the NCAA tournament because that's right now looks like the ceiling for Ohio State under Chris Holtman and that's not really what that's not what Gene Smith wants that's not what the fans want and I'm sure that's not the expectations that he has either so 
Yeah, I don't so, know. I, so th that's the thing I find interesting because you know recruiting. So you have you have two different questions, right? Or three? Well, I'll, I'll say three different. So you have three different issues. One, recruiting. How how are we doing feeding the talent pipeline? And, and obviously, you know, if we compare this to football, which is a, an, a bad analogy at best, but yeah, we'll totally say, different beast. But but we'll say recruiting has been part of the reason Ohio State has been so dominant over the course of this century. Mm -hmm. um you know certainly uh, you go back to uh the urban meyer uh days that was his calling card but obviously jim trestle brought in some great players uh john cooper certainly brought in a lot of great players so that led to you know step two is is development okay and then you you highlighted some of the things that uh, holtman's done in developing guys and then then the third piece is in-game coaching and strategy right so if you look i i, I used to look because i started going to basketball games under uh, jim o'brien and, and I don't know if anyone else would agree with this, but I used to say that O'Brien did a terrible job of bringing in like blue chippers, right. but I felt like they were well coached off the bench. Like yeah. he, he rung the, the, the last drop of good he was going to get out of whatever blue collar workman, you know, lunch pail guys insert sports cliche here mm. that, that he got into the program. Thad motto, on the other hand, I always felt like brought in the absolute best guys in the country, you know, his, his Thad five, class in particular uh was it was the standard for that but I, I don't know that i ever thought they really got better after they got to campus like, yeah i don't think so I, I mean i mean yeah some of them did i mean you look at a guy like john diebler you know who went from nothing to having a great career but for the most part i think you look at some of those guys towards the end and they definitely disappointed in terms of their evolution and progress as a basketball player and and certainly the asterisk caveat to that is is that thad mata wasn't thad mata in the last years of his, his sure. tenure here due to due to his his health issues and and so we, we kind of brush this up but so you have these three things you got to figure out and and I look and say okay i think holtman uh does a pretty good job with the guys and uh i do get a little frustrated with some late game management so maybe he'll stop um you know not drawing up a decent inbounds play uh late <laughs> well and that's the other thing Just, sorry to interrupt but you know watching Dwayne play hero ball every time that's frustrating but you're the coach you can actually draw up a play you can try to prevent that from happening and Holman did not seem particularly interested in uh you know maybe dictating how the the end game should play out yeah, uh, he's, team. He yeah, yeah this isn't this isn't uh this isn't letting terry bradshaw draw plays in the dirt you know like right. that's not what we're talking about here come right. on yeah call a play like have yeah. have one that works uh but so then that piece about recruiting like i'm looking and saying you know the future here actually looks pretty good from the guys that they're bringing in i mean i think in these next two yeah. classes uh you know malachi branham is going to be a pretty pretty cool cat to bring in here and if you look at how they've done in their their high school tournaments, um, you know, man, that cat's going to be really good at basketball. Mm -hmm. And, and, and likewise in 22, when you're bringing in uh, like a Bruce Thornton, you know, as a, as a top 30 guy in the country, like there's, they're getting, they're getting four, four-star guys. They need more of them. Sure. But they're starting to see more four-star guys that say, okay, I can come play at Ohio state. Yeah. Um, keeping key in state guys. This next off season, I think is going to be really interesting because there's going to be about a million guys on the transfer market so you'd like to think that a school like ohio state could go out there and find uh maybe a point guard who can help them <laughs> yeah you uh, have to have a point guard who can help create maybe, because that's yeah that's getting difficult maybe maybe a big man uh right who could could provide some meaningful minutes you know there so i think that'll be really interesting to see he's done a good job on the transfer market right like mm -hmm. that's you you mentioned seth towns earlier that was a good get yeah so just assuming good get so go yeah. find a couple of those guys this offseason i think we're having a much different feeling and who comes back that's you know that's that's a big question uh sure like to see kyle young come back that would be pretty cool yeah um i don't you know will it happen i don't know i don't i would rather not seen him take multiple shots to the head during the conference tournament and, yeah and and hope he's well enough to be able to come back because that's a thing so yeah okay all right well you're not ready to pull the plug yet. That's good. To know. <laughs> no. And that's the thing. Like, no, I'm not. And that's the last thing I wanted to address, which is, you know, the, the reaction, obviously with the EJ Liddell stuff, that's inexcusable and stupid and wrong. Um, that, I mean, I'm, I, I don't care how angry or upset you get about a game. That's you just never do that. Look, uh, there are three immutable commandments that you must never break as a sports fan. One, don't tweet at recruits. Yeah. 
Two, don't tweet at parents, moms, and dads. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And three, don't tweet at players. Right. Like these are not people who live in your social circle yeah. that you know in the real world. And look, I realize that some of you slack jaw jabronis out there would walk up to a guy uh, after a game in the real world and say some of this crap. Like that doesn't make it any better. Yeah, <laughs> so, it doesn't. You know, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine after you've ripped up your ticket from Bavada that you just flushed down, you know, a couple <laughs> large down the toilet on this game. I, I, I guess on you go, but go out into the backyard, you know, smash some terracotta flower pots mm -hmm. and get on with your life. Like that's it. It is not, it is not okay. Full stop to go and light up these kids yeah. on channel social. your inner highway away and destroy some, some pots, some, some priceless valuable urns. And then, you know, get back to your life, but don't start tweeting threats or DMing players, all this other, that's disgusting. Or their girlfriends or their mothers or yeah. none of these things. Yes. Yeah. So, Not okay. Yeah. And I understand, like I said, I understand being pissed off. I was pissed off, but you got to understand, first of all, A, it's just a game and, and B, it, like, I don't know what you seek to accomplish with, with something like that, other than making someone feel bad, who I promise you feels infinitely more, you know, infinitely yeah. worse than you ever will right. about a game. So, yeah, I just, it's silly and dumb, um, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully once Ohio state came out really strong in defense of, of EJ Liddell. And I appreciate the hell out of that. And hopefully people started to understand and realize that that's just not the, not the way to go. It was nice to see the community in general, you know, so obviously yeah. you had people that you would expect to speak up like Chris Holman and Gene Smith. Uh, but I saw guys like Dennis Hobson and, and other, you know, right. former players, uh, not just like recent former players who are, you know, maybe still connected to the program by a den of recency, but you know, you look at Hobson, I think it was still the program's leading scorer, um, you know, popping off to to support the big man. That's you'll love that. And that's part of uh, that's part of the good, too, I guess, as you see. Yeah. Hey, just for, for every for every mouthy half wit uh, online, there's <laughs> a, a boatload of good people who are there, you know, as the song says, uh, summer's heat or winter cold, winter's cold, you know. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so let me ask you before we transition real quick uh, to another bit of Ohio State um, sports prowess. Wh what's your rooting interest going forward? Like, who who do you want? Like, I'm not saying who do you want to win for your bracket, but assuming you didn't make a bracket and you don't care, what what's your rooting interest at this point in the uh, the tournament? Yeah, looking at the looking at some of the teams we've already talked about, I, you know, I would be really happy to see Sister Jean and the Loyola kids go for it. Like that's just a mm -hmm. fun story. I like I like fun stories at this point. I would say of teams that are still in it, you know, so the stunning Mrs. Vance's Mountaineers of West Virginia got uh, the the big boot the other night from Syracuse. So Bad. that was my rooting interest until uh, until that went down. So now I guess I'm officially unattached to any team um, yet in the tournament. Uh, would have liked to have seen the Bobcats of OU go on and that didn't happen. So that can, you can, <laughs> you can pull the ripcord there. I mean, I guess it would be nice to see Maryland do well. So the big 10 had a, a representative in the sweet 16 that I, you know, didn't want to smother under a pillow. I <laughs> Michigan. Um, so I'm, I, I would say I'm going to go with Loyola and Oral Roberts at this point. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess yeah I, I can see that you want you want the team that beat you to to try to prove their bona fides a little bit I, yeah i want them to go all the way you know, yeah Gonzaga, I, I Gonzaga versus oral roberts in the right. final let's make it happen yeah right now i'm ride or die with uh with loyola honestly the the lowest seed ever to win march madness was uh i think nova in uh 85 86 something like that yeah where they were also an eight seed so loyola could match that and i would like to see them pull that off that would be pretty awesome um but you know i creighton's always a fun team to follow i'm a big fan you know what i'm a big fan of of schools from like the middle of freaking nowhere going out and winning or getting out to the final four or things like that. Like I know, like, you know, Creighton's a legitimate school in Omaha. It's not like they're in some like cornfield in the middle of nowhere that nobody's ever heard of. Omaha was not exactly a tiny city. Right. <laughs> but I just, I like the idea that it's not, I don't know, TV marketable. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? It's not a coastal school. It's not, it's not a big name like LSU or Michigan or something like that. And I just happen to say that as I watch them, but you know, it's, 
I, I like when the smaller schools that don't normally get a lot of uh, um, TV time and publicity. I like when they are able to make those runs. So Loyola, Creighton, all the, you know, it's, it's great. I love seeing that. So hopefully they can make some noise and, um, you know, take out some of the blue bloods in the higher, higher seats. Colorado, by the way, I would love to see Colorado, um, you know, kick some butt and, and do some awesome things. So that should be fun. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. That's that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm going for. Low seeds always, though. I mean, upsets. I'd forgotten Colorado was still in. I was I was sitting there with like Colorado. Are they even? In? Oh yeah, they've got the Florida State game. <laughs> they do, and I predict that they will win by a thousand points. And apparently, I guess the game's going on right now. It just started. Yeah, that, that should be a good game. Yeah. Um. So hopefully they pull that one off, and if not, I'll look like a big dummy when this finally publishes and people see it. But uh, last thing, real quick, uh, wrestling, Ohio State wrestling, you know, we've, we've got the NCAAs there as well. And one huge upset that Ohio State sustained. Yeah, it was, uh, it, this was, and you know, you and I talked about this going into the tournament. This was a different tournament for Ohio State because uh, in, in a lot of recent years, they were scrapping, if not for a national title for, you know, second or third. They've been um in the top two my gosh you know for five six years running now mm -hmm. and and so this was a different year we knew going in iowa was going to run away with it which they did iowa wins uh the national championship and so you went in a 10-year period there where penn state won eight out of ten ohio state won one and, and iowa won one obviously we didn't have one last year so I'm, I'm tossing that one out but of the last 10 tournaments um you know iowa got one <laughs> Ohio State got 2015 and Penn State won the other eight. Uh, Ohio State, however, was rooting for Sammy Sasso, our talented 149-pounder, to go all the way to the national uh, titles. And he made it to the finals. It was a, it was a heartbreaker. A guy wrestled a good match. He was wrestling a, a, a solid opponent as well, a um, kid from North Carolina named Austin O'Connor. And it came literally down to the wire. Sasso had... Uh, the go-ahead takedown right as time expired. The officials didn't call it a takedown on the mat. Um, Tom Ryan threw yeah. the challenge brick. It went to review. And in what felt like the quickest uh, review in the history of man, um, the call on the mat was uh, upheld. And so Sasso finished his season as national runner-up. Um, re really heartbreaking to be that close. Um, he really you know, dominated the match for for most, um, it looked like he was in control. It, it was a really low scoring affair. It was a, uh, three to two finish, you know, but would, um, look like it was a match he was winning. And there was a late takedown from O'Connor on what's called a Merkel. And there's some people that say a Merkel takedown shouldn't be a takedown. They don't allow it in freestyle anymore, but it's still, still a thing in, in folk. Um, it was called and that gave him the, the final score of the three to two there. So a little bit of a bummer. Ohio State ends up with three All-Americans with Sammy Sasso and then also um, Tate Orndorff, who finished, oh, I'm going to say finished in eighth. And then um, Ethan Smith finished fifth in the country, finished his uh, match on a high note, winning the fifth place match. And so Smith wrestled above seed. He was seeded seventh in the tournament. So it was great to see him uh, and super close to have been in the finals. He made it all the way to the national semifinals and just, just yeah, came up just that close it was a that was a bummer but then came back and and won his way through the wrestlebacks which was great so those three guys hats off to them getting named all americans and uh yeah team finished in ninth place which is definitely a down year but the fact that you finish in the top 10 yeah in a down year you know nothing to to hang your head and cry about so and i know that was year. like a hope for them that they'd be able to get that status so yeah i mean you know so I, I i thought there was an outside chance and and i'd have to go back and look at the uh at the score breakdown i thought there was an outside chance they could make it into the top five um because i i expected there were five guys who would be contending for all america honors i thought malik heinzelman at 125 pounds had wrestled really well all season long i thought there was a chance He'd make it into the the um, medal rounds, and and I thought the same thing with Caleb Romero. And Romero was wrestling a really great tournament, and uh, he just ran into a couple of bad draws. And then same with Heinzelman. There were guys that you, you know you would have hoped to see later in the tournament. Heinzelman, um, you know, got a couple guys early on, and so he didn't advance nearly as far as as I had expected. Um, 
but credit, you know, Rocky Jordan wrestled really well and wrestlebacks uh, got some bonus points for the team. That's the other thing that makes a big difference in these tournaments in terms of scoring is bonus points. So you have guys that are winning decisions. They're not adding any bonus points to the team score. Um, Sammy Sasso had a pin in one of his nice. matches, which adds a lot of bonus points to the team score. So they, you look at guys like uh, that are wrestling at Iowa and Penn State, they tend to be high bonus rate guys, and, and that makes a big difference in their team scores. Penn State had four individual national champions. It's just just crazy. So that's wild. A lot, a lot of folks are are already on board that uh, they just loaned Iowa the 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 title for a year and will be <laughs> reclaiming it next year in short order. So yeah, well that could be the case. And First you know, I just, problems. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so I, you know, it, it's not been a great, I guess, weekend for Ohio State sports in general. Little tough. Little tough. Look, hey. Football's coming back, right? Things are gonna, things are looking up. Football should be pretty legit next year. I think everybody's excited for you know maybe the to see who emerges as the leader at quarterback and all that other stuff. So there's still there's brightness on the horizon that we can kind of look forward to, and hopefully the NCAA tournament will continue to be super wild and crazy and goofy, and you know that'll be fun as well. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna play for you our interview with Dr. Christina Johnson, the um, president of Ohio State, and. I got to say, this was a really great interview. We only had a few minutes of her time. She's an incredibly busy woman, obviously. Uh, but it was awesome to be able to talk to her and, uh, you know, kind of pick her brain about some of the initiatives that she is engaging with with Ohio State. And also, uh, you know, how she sees sports and, you know, its role within the university at, at large. So it was a really great interview. We were really lucky to have her. This was recorded last Thursday. Um, so that little more optimism about uh, the NCAA tournament than, uh, than you might expect. But uh, as I said, we were really lucky to have her and, and let's get into it. President Johnson, thanks for joining us on the show. You know, you have, I think, one of the more impressive CVs of a university president, but I, I, I'm guessing are something of a rarity and that you also have street cred, so to speak, as a Division I college athlete yourself. I want to talk about, first off, that relationship between athletics and academics it's it's no secret that over the long history of academics and college athletics that the faculty and the athletics uh concept haven't always meshed or seen eye to eye what do you see as the relationship today between athletics and the core academic mission of the university yeah it's it's a great question and it as you said it's evolved over time it's evolved since my grandfather played at the ohio state university when there were only 770 students so, um, you know, in my view, what athletics does is it provides our student athletes um, an opportunity to develop leadership skills, discipline, um, growth that uh, is really unique. And my mission as a university president is to provide those opportunities for all our students. So it's a great exemplar of what we can do. You've been active, I would say, and uh, more so maybe than most of your colleagues or peers in this past year, I would say, trying to uh, move forward that that kind of academic and athletic partnership you talked about, most notably pushing to get Big Ten football back and, and moving forward, but also at your alma mater at Stanford. I know you've been very active in the, the Save Stanford sports. I, I follow wrestling quite closely yeah. and know the wrestling team has been very active. How, how has that experience been for you kind of championing the cause? Um, I, I'm sure not everyone in your position would be comfortable taking such, uh, you know, a bold position. Why did you do it? And what's been the response? Well, I think one of the reasons that I did it was um, from my own personal experience. As you know, I was a two-sport athlete in college, which meant, you know, year-round. Uh, of course, now all sports are pretty much uh, year-round in terms of conditioning and the commitment. And, it, you know, it was um, my first couple of years at Stanford were, were um, challenging in that uh, my father had been diagnosed with cancer, ended up passing away when I was a sophomore. And I really found a place and a community and kids that, you know, understood and were there for me. And so the team was a lot about, yes, you know, aspiring to be an Olympian, of course, we all tried, but it was also about community. And again, learning the discipline, how to, how to uh, manage your day, how to be both a student and an athlete, and then just the camaraderie. I'm still great friends with a lot of my teammates. 
Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm championing it. I just think it's, again, an opportunity for our students uh, to learn about, you know, time management, discipline, commitment, leadership. So anything that allows our students to do that, to me, is within the mission of the university. One of the things uh, I wanted to follow up with uh, President Johnson is the idea that, you know, you're talking about these big ideas, these big things, and um, this is definitely the year for it, right? I mean, this is <laughs> com <laughs> coming out of what we're coming out of and, and the initiatives that have to be involved and whatnot. And, and you have suggested some really large initiatives as well. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and particularly talking about student debt. And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, paying players and whatnot, but I think it's kind of a larger part of a conversation of how do people navigate college uh, financially? And I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your plan to kind of make uh, or, or reach the point where students at Ohio State can, can leave debt free. What does that look like? How can that be accomplished? You know, um, I've thought about this since I was a student at Stanford, because when I graduated from undergraduate, I had a little bit of debt, very little. I mean, uh, tiny. And I was able to pay it off pretty quickly. If I had the kind of debt that many students from universities all over the country have today, probably would have made a different choice. And that's what we're seeing in surveys, a different choice, meaning I went on to graduate school, got my PhD, which allowed me to have this incredible career and in the honor of a lifetime to serve the Ohio State University's president. But if I graduated with uh, the average debt in the US for our undergraduates that have debt is somewhere between 25 and $27,000. And that's what it is for about 43% of the students that graduate do graduate with debt and it's about $27,000. Now we've reduced that number, it used to be over 50%. So we're making progress and that's a big credit to Dr. Drake under his leadership, access and affordability was a big thing. And I wanna see that go to zero over the next 10 years. And the reason why is because from our surveys, we know that our students are making different choices that affect them for the rest of their life. You know, they, they wait to start a family, they, they can't buy a house, they choose uh, a career where they can get a job and start paying off that debt. And that's just at the undergraduate level. And then we have there are professional students. They graduate, a majority of those students are graduating with a lot more debt. So this is a commitment. And I wanted to set the stage for that early in my tenure, because as I said, ever since I graduated, I thought, you know, if we started now, 40 years from now, we'd probably be sure that every single student going to a university could be endowed to the extent that they need to be, right? And I thought, that's what we need. You need to start now, and then you just have to keep at it. Well, I don't have 40 years, but I'm hoping to have at least 10, maybe 15 years here. So let's get started. It, it is a bold statement, and I could have hedged it. I could have said, we aim to, we're going to try. But my experience in athletics is you don't go out onto the playing field and say, oh, we're going to try to win. That doesn't cut it. It's not going to cut it for our teams that are playing this this week. And I know you know that we're playing Oral Roberts in the NC2A, our men. Uh, yep, tomorrow. And then we're in the Frozen Four. So our women's ice hockey team will be playing Wisconsin uh, 7 o'clock tonight. They, I, you know, I know they're not going out on the ice rink or on the court saying, ah, I hope we win. So literally on the way to giving the speech, I asked Veronica, I said, you know, should I, should I modify this? It's kind of a strong statement. She goes, well, are you going to do it? I said, yeah, we're going to do it. She goes, well, then say it. There you have it. <laughs> so just a quick follow-up on that. And, and just to give you a little bit of personal history with me. Um, so I graduated in, from Ohio State in 2007 and then turned around and got my master's in education in 2008. And the reason why I did that is because it was a required initiative from the state of Ohio for people who wanted to get uh, new uh, teaching licenses had to have a master's degree. And that was something I was required to do. And do you think that, you know, I, I thought about this a lot when I was in grad school and I ended up graduating something with like $35,000 in debt. And okay. one of the things that I thought about was, you know, Ohio State is so well integrated, or at least I think that's what it wants to be. It wants to be really integrated in the surrounding community. Is one path towards that some kind of like public service component where students are able to give back to the area around Columbus in an effort to kind of reduce that burden that they might have? 
I think that's a great idea. And when you think about the how, okay, so we, we announced the what. Now the how is what I'm working on almost daily. And we have weekly meetings, um, actually every Friday, to talk about how we get there. And so part of it is exactly what you're talking about. There'll be a component that our students uh, and families, to the extent that they can, will contribute. One of the ways to do that is to make sure we provide living wage internships and, uh, and summer employment opportunities. So uh, your idea, which is a great one, could be part of a summer or post-graduation. So I'll take that to our group on Friday. I want to shift into, um, I don't know that uh, I've, I've mentioned this or not, but I'm a huge proponent of the land-grant mission. I think that really has to be at the core of, of everything we do uh, you know, as a university. It just that's, that's our bedrock, if you will. So Absolutely. when you talk about this, I think this bold uh, goal to make it, it possible for every student to graduate debt-free, could you make that connection or that linkage to the land-grant mission and what it's all about? Well, in fact, in this, my State of the University address, I talked about the ambition of the Ohio State University to be the model 21st century land-grant mission. So we're totally aligned there. And one example of that would be really committing to four what I called the excellences, right? Excellence in academics, excellence in research, excellence in entrepreneurship and partnerships. And then the last is excellence in public service. And part of that public service to this state is upping the number of, of uh, residents of the state of Ohio that have a college degree uh, or some kind of post high school degree. And part of that is informed by the following. If we look back, and I'm, I'm a great student of history, um, at least in my mind. So if we look back 10 years to the Great Recession, since then we've had about somewhere between 12 to 13 million new jobs created, new net jobs. Of those, 98% went to uh, individuals who had some kind of higher education, a certificate, an, an associate's degree or bachelor's degree. As a state, we don't rank that high in terms of percentage of our uh, residents that have college degrees or even advanced degrees. I think it's only 11% for advanced degrees. Um, and then I've seen different statistics for undergraduate so I think that this is an area where Chancellor Randy Gardner, you know, who's the chancellor to the governor for higher education, he's, he stated a pretty interesting statistic. If we could get 5% more higher education attainment in the state of Ohio, it would be worth about half a billion dollars a year in terms of revenue and uh, resources that would flow into the state. That's pretty good. So that's a, that is definitely a goal for all of the institutions in the state to work towards. One thing that I'd like to say just real quick is uh, we love at 11 Warriors uh, watching all the public service projects and things that our athletes do. It's it's one of those things that I think people like to see because they like to see the athletes of the community. We love to see it because it's just, you know, it's an interesting story and it's great to kind of follow. Um, what's one of those things, maybe not just limited to athletics, but in general that Ohio State does to give back to the Columbus community that you're particularly proud of? You know, there's so many. One of the ones I talked about in my state of the university address was the micro farm up at Mansfield. So our Mansfield regional campus. So this is a, a project where we're, we are trying to bring, you know, really great uh, and affordable food to urban uh, communities and in underserved communities so that we actually, there's a goal by the Mansfield campus to bring an additional, and this is the number I recently heard, 35,000 a year in income to local families by teaching urban farming methods. And uh, I think that the micro farming is quite intriguing. And that's, that's just one of many. I mean, I know uh, you've heard a lot about what the Wexner Medical Center has done with regard to testing and vaccinations. And that's, uh, they stood up on a dime with the help, by the way, of Gene Smith, our fantastic athletic director and our uh, athletics and facilities team, the ability to vaccinate 3,000 people a day, and also the ability to expand that. And now that the governor has announced that anyone over the age of 16, starting March 29th, get vaccinated, this is a huge service to the community. And Jay Casey, who is our head of our facilities, he's working with uh, Kroger to use the St. John's uh, Arena to also do a pop-up vaccination clinic. 
that will start, I believe, next week. So the more that's really our third excellence. You know, it's it's those partnerships in the community, carrying out our land grant mission and being entrepreneurial about it. Okay, and that was Dr. Christina M. Johnson. Thank you so much to her for joining us. A fantastic interview. Great to talk with her, and, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Um, but uh, real quick, Andy, you were the one who really helped facilitate and set this up. I, I am so impressed that we were able to, to get this done. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I just have been impressed with President Johnson really from the get-go, uh, yeah. You know, saying and doing all the right things. And, and as I alluded to in the interview, she has such a unique, I think, perspective and a unique resume. If, if you look at her CV, uh, her academic credentials are impeccable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, has, has been a tremendous um, researcher and academic, but but the, the number of patents she holds as an inventor yeah. is obscenely, I mean, it's in the triple digits, uh, number of patents that she holds, which is, I think, incredible. And then, you know, her um, service at the the federal, at the cabinet level of the federal government. So she's kind of seen and done it all. And then to also be able to draw upon that well of experience as a multi-sport division one athlete Mm -hmm. uh, at an institution like Stanford that takes, uh, or at least up until they started getting rid of sports here during COVID, um, you know, has taken sport very seriously you know to to be able to chew gum and walk at the same time you know as a an elite academic institution and an elite athletic institution you know there aren't a lot of places that do that and do that as well as schools like ohio state and stanford do so she just has i think a really cool unique and obviously got into the mix i think endeared herself to sports fans at ohio state early oh yeah of course by leading the charge to get football back and um as i mentioned in the interview she's still been active trying to save sports at stanford um because of the challenges they're going through out there so my, my hat's off to her i love what she's doing with this affordability and access initiative because you know to me the land grant mission is at the center of what we do as a university as i said during the interview she's um, championing that, I think, in a real tangible way by trying to make college something that kids can get a four-year degree from their land-grant university and, and graduate without, um, you know, the shackles of debt around them. I think that's, I think that's important. That's, that's the reason that we founded the university in the first, pl- first place. Frank. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it was the original land-grant mission and that continues today. And as you said, she embodies that. So, you know, good start from her and, and we're really lucky to be able to talk with her And thanks again to you for helping set that up because that was really fantastic. Uh, Let's real quick, we got to really quick ask us anything. Before we do that, I want to say that you obviously can support 11warriors.com and the 11 Dubcast by checking out our dry goods store, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Um, it's, it's springtime. I'm not super stoked about it, but some people are, uh, at weather that's approaching the seventies, uh, which means that you can go ahead and get some amazing shirts from our dry goods store and then wear them outside where it's apparently not below freezing anymore. Again, much to my chagrin. So go ahead and check that out. It's, it's good times. A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, go ahead and, and get them at drygoods.11warriors.com. Let's do Ask Us Anything. You can ask us literally anything because here's the thing. We are now in the off season, right? Like this is now officially no more basketball. Football, yes, is, is going to be there, at least in terms of practice. But in terms of games that we're paying attention to, we are now in the off season, the long, dark off season of our souls. And that requires us, that requires you to really help us out with the craziest and most insightful or weirdest questions that you can possibly ask us. So send those questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And we've got a question here from our good friend, Alvin, uh, which kind of puts a bow on this basketball season. He says, are we a football school? Yes. Uh, Seriously though, did this basketball team meet expectations? I give that a resounding N-O, no, they did not. This is, they had the talent to, they had the talent to make the final four. My expectation was at least the sweet 16 and they obviously didn't even approach that. Yeah. I mean, um, that's that we, we talked about that going into the tournament, that sweet 16 was the expectation. And as uh, you and I mentioned earlier in the cast, man, it's yeah, they didn't get it. They didn't get they it. Didn't get it. And, and that's, and it's, it sucks because you know, you have a team that looked like they were rounding into a form you know, last year, right. We're like, okay, this is, you know, some momentum building. They look like mm-hmm. they pulled out of this really terrible stretch. They look like they know what they're doing. 
And then of course they were denied an opportunity to, to maybe prove that. And then this year it's like, okay, well, they're back. They've got this momentum going. Now we can actually finally get in the tournament and do some things. And then they, they bow out immediately. So, you know, it's frustrating and you've got a long wait till next season. Um, but hopefully that'll motivate both, you know, the team and fans to, to be even more invested in it because it's, I, I, there's a lot to like about this Ohio State men's basketball team. They just need to pull some of it together. Yeah. I mean, I would really like to hedge, you know, when I, when, when answering that question saying, no, they didn't meet our expectations. I'd, I'd love to hedge, but, but I can't, I mean, we were pretty clear. Yeah. It was like sweet 16 is the expectation sweet 16 or bust. and, and uh, yeah, they didn't get it there. And, 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 you know, not for nothing. I mean, Chris Holtman knows that, right? Like he talked sure. about it in his, um his post-game press conferences and interview sense you know that that's the next step they've, they've got to get they've got to get there in the tournament it's mm-hmm. it's not enough uh to put together you know a great season top 10 finish in the regular season and uh you know runner up in the conference tournament and all that it's not it's not enough you've got to take the next step right and hopefully that's something that they can do with some incoming players and maybe a little bit more coherent you know maybe defensive philosophy we'll see um, but we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. And as I said, it's, it's the off season. Anything goes, it's getting a little wild. It should be interesting. Um, and we'll definitely be here to talk about, you know, spring practice and all that good stuff as we, uh, kind of move forward. But until then I'm Johnny, I'm Andy, and we'll see you next week.